how many know that decisions are made so often in your mind that sometimes it becomes something that's so familiar? Um, you got to make decisions, 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 decisions. And decisions lead to direction. Decisions lead to direction. Um, as a nation, we make decisions every four years. Um, as an individual, you make a decision every time you wake up. Um, decisions are part of life. Amen. They, they, they are part of life. Right from the beginning of the Bible, we see a decision that was made that altered and that changed human history. Don't underestimate the power of a decision, especially of direction for your life. And so the word of God does that for us. And so we have been looking at the light that leads to life. And we're going to define life because I believe that there are actually four ways at, at looking at life. There, there are four ways to look at life. And so you need not a light, you need the light of the world. For the Bible says that Satan, who is your enemy, my enemy, he doesn't like us. Doesn't like anybody. Whether you save or not, he don't like you. But especially if you are filled with the spirit, then he has a mark for your life. Because there's something that he knows that oftentimes the believers don't fully really grasp. Uh, that he understands that the word of God is powerful. He knows that. And if you ever make a decision for God to move in a direction that's in line with the will of God for your life, you are unstoppable. You're absolutely unstoppable. And so therefore, he will do whatever he can to try to prevent you from making decisions that cause the light to lead you, because we must be led, to life. To life. To life. And so, one of the first things we see, and, and, and this is where most of us hang out, this is where we, we get in our vehicles and we park the car here. This is where most people live, and, and by the grace and mercy of God, that's why it amazes me how God loves us in spite of. It amazes me because, because in John chapter 8, we're going to look at verse 5, we, we, we see how decisions led to a direction. We see that everybody in John chapter 8, everybody that made a decision, everybody did. Some were conscious of their decision. Some were unconscious of their decision. Some of them, they were set up to make a decision. But everybody finds their way right here in John chapter 8, verse 5. And the good thing about that is Jesus was there. Oh, let me just pause there for a moment. Sometimes you wonder how you got here, but as long as Jesus is there, there's hope that I can find, right? I, I, I told my wife, I said, I said, babe, if I ever mess up, if I ever, if I ever mess up to the place where, where it's just really bad, I said, I said, don't take me to people, take me to Jesus. Take me to Jesus because, because he understands how life works. He understands the light that leads. Someone say lead. To life, to life, to life, to life. And so the first place where we park our car, the first place that we, we park our car, and for some people, they're comfortable here. They, they're comfortable here because the first life is what I call your way of life. 
your way of life. I've, I've learned over the last 10 years that people are going to do what people want to do. I'm convinced that when people make up their mind, they made a decision for a certain direction, even Jesus can't stop them. That's how powerful, ready for this, free will is. That's how powerful it is. And until you understand that, until you recognize the power of free will, you will not then be able to make a difference in people's lives. Because the first the first area of life is your way of life. And so this is my way, this is your way, and there's the highway if you don't like my way. That's the first place. But there's another life, and this is now where Jesus becomes a little bit more, you're aware a little bit more of your need for something beyond yourself. This is where your way of life has caused you to make decisions that are not productive, and so you're either losing stuff, or you're miserable, or you realize that you tried everything, come on, you know, bought the t-shirt and all that, and it's not working out for you, and now you get to a place where you realize that, that I now need to understand what real life is, and so we have a bombardment of reality shows. We want to watch other people and see how they flow. And, and so we have what we call real life. Not just your way of life, but now we have real life. And so, and so this is the place now where, where this is real now. This is the area of feeling. This is the place of, of your reality. This is the place of experience and events. Help me somebody. Because you see, this is where people say, come on, get real. Keep it 100. The pain is real. This is now where you realize that your way of life is not working. And so this is now the real life. And this is now where people move from just the American way and move from just the religious way. Now they move into a place where I need something. I don't know what it is yet, but I need something that is greater than my capacity to make decisions. John chapter 8 verse 5, we find ourselves there. We find ourselves, this was real. It was real. We saw a way of life and now we're seeing real life and, and this is where, this is where it's at. And so, and so the next place now we need to move, we need to move from just real life because this is when now you accept Jesus Christ into your heart and you understand now that Jesus is the Savior, but you really don't know if He's Lord yet. He's Savior of your life, but is He Lord of your life? Now, now, now you're listening to what I'm saying. I'm telling you that in ministering to people to make a difference, this is where they are. And so if somebody's in a place of real life issues, you can't just come with your way of life. It won't work. It won't work. Because they're asking for something that's greater than your experience and your events. They need something greater. What they need is Jesus. They need someone to rescue them. They need someone to, to save them. And this is where church happens. This is the area where fellowship happens. This is the place of where people come in now and it's real life. And either they get hurt by a church or, or, or somebody hurts them. But this is real. This is what we call doing life together. This is trying to understand a fallen world and how to have faith in people and faith in God in a fallen world. This is real life. 
And people will try to talk you out that the Bible is not relevant for real life. They'll say it's, a, it's, it's, it's an archaic book. It's, it's an ancient book. And, and so the Bible is no longer relevant for where I'm at. But you got to tell that devil and everybody else associated with them that they're a liar. Come on, because the Bible is relevant for today. It is the absolute word of God. And so in the real life is where we get situation ethics and we look at things and we wonder in light of this, what shall I do? Am I talking to anybody this morning? I know I'm talking to myself. I've been there where it's like this is real stuff. It's real stuff. And in these areas, the your way of life in this real life is where surface issues land. It is where surface issues land. And so in our text, we find out that this is what we're seeing, that 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 they're talking and they bring Jesus, excuse me, they bring this woman to Jesus and they said the law of Moses says to stone her. This is John chapter 8 verse 5, to stone her. What do you say? It's asking the question of life. It is literally a question of death, but it's posed in a way of life. And so here is the question. They, they, they bring this person, this woman, they bring her and says the law of Moses says to stone her. But what do you say? This was real life. This is real life. And so where we want to go, the next two, where we want to go and in this journey, because you can't go to eternal life and go to an established life without the light of the word of God. You can you can find religion and you can punch your ticket, get your golden ticket to get to heaven. But to get to a place of where you fully understand the depth of eternal life now here on earth. And then you understand the established life. You are making a difference. And the devil doesn't want you to live an established life. He does not want to. He wants to interrupt you. He wants to mess with you. He wants to torment you. He wants to do everything he can. He knows he can't stop your destination, but he can make you miserable on your way to get there. And so we got to learn how do we make decisions in light of all these things? And how do I even make decisions outside of my control? Because if somebody else has control of my life or somebody else is trying to use their life to manipulate my life, how do I do that? You must understand that those are surface issues, serious issues, but they are a surface issue is what they are. This question that was being asked. It says this, the woman's life depends on Jesus' decision. Check that out. Her life depended on Jesus' decision. Your life and my life depend upon whose decision? Jesus' decision. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What if he said no? We are so used to seeing on football game, John 3.16. We see all this and what if he said No. You see, oftentimes we don't find ourselves in the scripture. Well, that's not me because I'm not committing adultery and I'm not doing this and I'm not doing that. But listen, your life depends on the decision of Jesus. And I'm glad it does. Praise God. I'm glad it does. I'm glad it doesn't depend on your decision. Come on. I'm so glad it depends on the decision of Jesus. And that way we can find comfort and we don't have to worry. We can worship no matter what the events of this world are presenting to us. We know that life depends on Jesus' decision. And last time I checked, he is Lord. Oh, that's so good. You see, Jesus, and we're going to get to this. This is why you have to love him. Is because in this particular story, not only was this woman's life at risk, so was Jesus' life. 
His life was at risk as well. He was personally connected to his decisions. He makes decisions that connects him to it. Oh, God. People can make decisions, but like, it doesn't affect me, so I'm going to give you advice. Not Jesus. Every decision he makes is connected to who he is. That's why you got to love him. And so here it is now that, that I shared last time, and this is, this is amazing. See, Jesus never allowed the social pressure from the religious sect or the cultural pressure from the political storms. He never allowed those things to cause him to try to please people. He never let those outside things alter his decision for eternity. Because Jesus knew that in order to get you to understand eternal life and for you to understand the established life. See, the eternal life is where you realize you're a citizen up there. But the moment you got saved, and I says over and over and over again, the moment you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Let me fix something for you. Jesus doesn't want your life. He wants you to take his life. <laughs> so it's not here, Jesus, I'm doing you a favor. Here's my life. He says, I don't want your life. I gave my life so you can receive my life. And that's why Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20. Now you understand when Paul wrote, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, establish. I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. Oh, that's helping somebody right there. Because we have taught you, give your heart to Jesus, and people do that. And all of a sudden, there's no power. They're making decisions that don't line up with the will of God for their life. And they're frustrated. And they say, you lied to me. I thought when I came to Jesus, there was power. I thought when I came to Jesus, there was healing. And Jesus said, yes, there is. But you need my life because I overcame sickness, disease, the grave. You need my life because I got the power. Come on, to tread on serpents. You need my life if you're going to make decisions to be established. So, so we recognize now that there is decisions that, that are eternal. There are decisions that solidify and secures you in heaven. Oh, glory to God. I'm going there. I'm going up beyond there. I'm great. But he's saying, I need you to live an established life so you, the church, can go beyond the surface to the bigger issue. He said, I didn't exit you out of here. Now that's coming. But I need my church to be established. Ooh, good God. I need my church to be established because there's people making decisions in their own reality and they want it their own way and they're confused and they're helpless and they're looking for someone. How can I make decisions to be established before I check out of here? And he's saying, it's found in this story. Found in the story. And so, and so what we have to look at is this that in the story now, Jesus realized it's a surface issue. And how did he know that it was surface? And I've got to tell people this over and over again. I want you to hear my heart. When I say something is a surface issue, I'm not saying it's not serious, but I'm saying in light of eternity, in light of eternal things, it is not the big issue. And the enemy is using surface issues to cause the church to lose focus of eternity and how to be established until the trumpet sounds and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And you and I who are alive and remaining, we can be called up to meet him in the air. The enemy says, I can't stop that event, but I can prevent the church. Come on, from being an established body. Come on, ooh. 
that makes decisions that directs a nation. Mm. And so I keep them over here. I'll keep them over in John. Go there, John 8, verse 6. I'll keep them over here in John 8, verse 6. And so here's what he's saying. They were trying to trap him. Don't you think the enemy is trying to trap us? <laughs> Come on, somebody. I know this thing's preaching good. My perspiration's coming around. I know this is good. The enemy was trying to trap him. Temptation. We got to trap this guy. Because our way of life is being jeopardized. Come on. And we're going to try to trap him. And we're going to say, watch this now. We're going to say to get something that we can use against him. But Jesus stood down and wrote in the dust with his finger. With his finger. I so love that. I love how God writes. My penmanship is horrible. I was having a meeting with, with our worship team and they almost like, you know, attacked me. Don't write on the board because we can't read it. Don't write on the board. I'm like, hey, listen, I got this. But when you look at Jesus, it says he wrote in the dust with his finger. So now here's my first point. It's not what did he write. So in the light of life, understanding that I'm going somewhere, it's not what did he write. People, people are looking and they're saying, well, what did he write? Surface issues. The enemy will get us trapped. Hey, what did he write? I don't know. Well, let's make surface issues. They're serious issues because he wrote something. This is the son of God. But it's not what did he write. The question is, why did he write? Oof. In the light of life, the question should always be is why? Why did he write? And so the question of what did he write deals with the bigger issue, while what did he write deals with surface issues. And so you can spend your days arguing and debating what did he write and miss the power of why did he write. You see, we understand that that he was trying to trap him, so we know that's we know that's what they were trying to do. But what did he, what did he write? You see, and I quote, the act of writing on the ground itself is very significant. As I was studying this and trying to find why did he write, I came across this theologian, this, and he says, listen, he, he's, Kenneth E. Bailey says this, that it was unlawful to write even two letters on the Sabbath, but that writing with dust was permissible. So you have to understand, you understand, there was the written law, then there was the oral law, traditions. So what they were doing, the religious people, they were bringing the oral law, the things that they made up to justify their behaviors. They would bring those on top of God's written laws because they were in power. They were controlling the people, come on, with the pen. And, and so what happens is this, is that as they were controlling what was going on, they were saying not only have to look at the laws of Moses, which no one can live, but we also have these oral laws as well that keeps us in power. 
And so they would say something like this. If this event happened on the Sabbath, you couldn't do nothing. But they were saying you can ride on the dust. It, it was permissible. And so if this was the eighth day of the feast, right, which is the Feast of Tabernacle, which was to be kept as a day of rest, then Jesus riding on the ground, I love this, would show that he knows well not only the law, but also the oral interpretation. Why he wrote was to say, you can't fool me. Come on. He's saying, you can't fool me. I don't know what he wrote. Great preachers say it all the time. But I know why he wrote. He was saying, I know the law that God gave to Moses, but I also know the oral traditions that you put down. And so therefore, I know what I'm allowed to do. I know the difference. Good God Almighty. Because I am different. Because your way of life and your real life, I'm trying to get you to understand eternal life. i got to make a decision for this woman. i got to make a decision for the church. And this decision will affect me as well. Will I die in this decision? And that's what Jesus was going at. So the first point is this. If you want to make decisions that give you direction, if you want to understand the bigger issue, you have to realize this. That you have to know the difference between God's laws and man's laws. You gotta understand those things. Because tradition will rob us of truth and make us ineffective in dealing with the bigger issue. In Jeremiah 17, verse 13, it says this O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you, Jeremiah 17, 13, all who forsake you shall be put to shame, but those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord. The fountain of living water. It's just what saying in rejecting Jesus, they were forsaking God. Let me say that again. In rejecting Jesus, you're forsaking God. Listen, there's no other way to God but through Jesus. I mean, that's Bible. And so living in your way of life, they made room for that possibility. So watch this. So, so when they talk about religious freedom, that's really for everybody. It's for everybody. It's the American way of life. So when you come in now and say, this is the only way to life, they're thinking, what are you talking about? Oh, watch this now, man. So when you make a decision for Jesus, you think you're making a decision like every other religion. This is my posse, this is your posse. <laughs> this is my dude. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that your decision for Jesus affects eternity. affects your eternal life. And you need to be established in that truth. You have to be comfortable in that truth. You see, once you're comfortable in a truth, it leads to conviction. And that's what we have to get to because the truth will do what? Set you free. Oh, God Almighty. So it's not... That we're criticizing or complaining about other religion. We're just simply saying, let's define our religion. Come on. Can we do that? Let's be established in what we believe. The message of, ready? Say it with me. The kingdom. Not Christianity. It's kingdom. Christianity. I'm not saying it's not there. Of course, please don't send me emails. What I'm saying is this. That Jesus didn't come and preach a movement called Christianity. Jesus came and preached a message of kingdom. Because this woman's situation didn't need religion. She was about to die. She needed something beyond this earth. She needed a kingdom answer. 
for real life issues. Write that down. Good God Almighty. Why are you saved? Because I need kingdom answers for real life issues. That's why I give my life to Jesus. That's why he's the Lord of my life. I need kingdom answers. I need answers outside of this earth. How would be a nice person in this earth? And I need a kingdom message for that. And so while they were looking at the traditions corrupted by Roman influence, Jesus came with the purity of the power of the gospel of the kingdom. And he says, I make decisions based on the kingdom. And that's when they ask him, how do you pray? He's telling the church, church, how do you pray? We don't pray like we're confused. No, we pray our father who are in heaven. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth established as it is in heaven. I got power. For your way of life. I've got power for the reality of life. But it's outside of this world. And so you can't get to God without Jesus. And so we love everybody. It's not for you to come in. and No, no, no. I'm just simply saying, understand and know the difference. Because it's surface issues that are distracting the church. Serious issues. Serious issues, but they're surface. Because unless a decision affects eternity, ooh, come on, you'll be subject to people's opinions and their way of doing things. And so it brings us this much of a kingdom. And so here's the deal. See, see, here's what was that was at stake. See, they wanted Jesus to write this woman off. They wanted him to protect himself. Come on. They want to realize we put you in a no-win situation. Come on. How do you get out of a no-win situation? Oh, my goodness. How do you get out of a situation where no matter what you decide, someone's going to be offended? How do you navigate the things of when your children, the things of where your spouse and where people outside of your control puts you in a binary situation where no matter what you decide, you can't please either side. That's why you need the kingdom of God, because only the kingdom of God can make decisive decisions that give you direction. Only the kingdom. So why are you saved? First, because God called me to be saved. And he called me to a kingdom. He pulled me out of dark. He did that. He pulled me out of darkness into his marvelous light of the kingdom. So I make decisions now based on the light that leads to life. Will the darkness try to overcome? Yes, but the Bible clearly states that the darkness cannot overcome the light. Good God Almighty. So when I make a decision for the light, which he initiated anyways, guess what? I'm indestructible. Because I'm secured in eternity. And the enemy says, do not let them know that. He tells his demons, lie to them, lie to them, lie to them. Keep them away from knowing that they are secure in eternity. Because of Jesus' decision. We celebrate it once a year called resurrection. The most powerful thing, greater than the birth. Is the resurrection where he made a decision leads to direction that opened up a kingdom and we do it once a year. Once a year. 
You see, they wanted just to write her off. But it's, I can't. I can't do that. I can't do that because here's the deal. See, they wanted him to get to a place where they show no concern for the soul of the woman. In other words, we're going to get to that. We haven't gotten to the soul issue yet. Right now, all that we're doing this message, because I've got to, I've got to navigate. See, see, I'm called by God apostolically with a pastoral heart. And I've got to navigate as God has assigned me his church. It's not my church, it's his church. And I got to navigate this church through the storms, through the issues, plural. And I got to navigate this church. And what God is saying, take your time and navigate them because we got to get to the issue of the soul. If you're concerned about the soul of the nation, we'll get there. But we've got to deal with the surface issues over here first. Because if you try to get over here, not being empowered from here, you will be confused and you'll fall for the trap and the bait of Satan every single time. And so we've got to move you because it's a kingdom expanding. Oh, God. It's a kingdom that is expanding. And so he says, what they wanted was show no concern for the soul of this woman. And so now, church, we have this responsibility that we have to come and share and show people. Okay, Pastor Rowe, if it's surface issues, if they're serious, then what is the bigger issue? Thank you for asking. I'll get to it. Here's the bigger issue. First and foremost, we have to do is this. In the light of life, we have to be better than some religious movement. We have to be. We have to be bigger than that because we have to be a kingdom. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to 20, Jesus now, when they ask the question, what do you say? Jesus says, well, I'm going to do better. I'm going to do better because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 to verse 20, here's what it says. It says, don't misunderstand why I've come. I love that. Hey, listen, church, if we don't understand his first coming, how are you waiting for his second coming? (laughs) If we don't understand the reason why he came the first time, to destroy the works of the devil and to set you and I free, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophet. No, I've come to accomplish their purpose. Verse 18 of Matthew 5. Verse 18, I tell you the truth. Oh, until heaven and earth disappears, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Oh, someone needs to take comfort in that right there. Good God Almighty. Oh, that is so good. I'm going to keep reading because just reading this thing is good. So if you ignore the least commandments and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the what? The kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's laws and teaches them will be called what? Great. Where? In the kingdom of heaven. (laughs) He said, I'm moving you into life where you are going to be in eternity, where you're going to understand kingdom language. So you can discern the language of the world. And he says, but I warn you, unless your righteousness, there it is, is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious laws and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Ooh, look at that. This is Jesus. He's saying, church, we've got to be better than that. We've got to be so distinctive that people walk in and be like, oh, my goodness. Look at these people worshiping God. Look at what's going on. 
So in the light of life, we got to be better than that. And so what that means is this, is that we choose our battles and we understand our battles. We know what it is that we are fighting for. Because listen, we have won the war. So choose your battles. Come on. Because the battle you choose will determine decisions for direction for eternity. So if you're choosing a battle that's a surface issue, fight all you want to. Go ahead. Use all your energy. That's great. You can do that. But you're not going to make a a difference. For eternity, that is. For eternity. So you're better than that. And so here's the the final point. We're going to spend the rest of our time here. And this is where we need to be. Because what is the bigger issue? Now that I got your attention, now that I realize that it's not what he wrote, but why he wrote. And now that I realize that I share with you, listen, we got to be better than that, right? We can't be like the religious people. We got to be citizens of the kingdom. So what is the bigger issue? Singular. What is the bigger issue? Well, in the light of life, we have to, here it is, see sin clearly. We have to see it clearly. Into this text, that's what was being discussed. Hey, Jesus, how do you see this sin? That's what they were asking. It wasn't about an adultery. They set that up. It wasn't about the situation ethics. They were doing it. The real question was, Jesus, are you cloudy when it comes to sin? Are you clear what it is when we look at this word sin? And so I was going to call this message sin in the camp, but I don't think anybody would show up if I called it that. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You talk about sin. Ah, I'm not coming down. And everybody's frigidity. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden, the enemy brings condom. At the moment you're a sin, all over you. You start thinking, oh, God, what did I do yesterday? Oh, God, is pastor going to say? Come on. Come on. We got to see. Remember, they brought it to Jesus. And so in the light of life, we have to see sin clearly. So if we want to talk about the sins of a nation, we've got to be able to see sin clearly. Because it may not be what you think it is. And it may be what you thought it wasn't. Mm -hmm. And so we have to see it clearly. Because there are people who are coming in and asking, how can I get set free from this sin? And we say, I have no idea. I don't even know what sin is. (laughs) And so we're over here in real life. In real life. And we realize we've got to get to a place of eternal life. So let's look at what the Bible says sin is. Now we can't go any further to what Jesus did to, to, to free this one. We'll get to that on Wednesday. But I've got to set you up to understand the mindset. Write that down. The mindset. You have to understand the mindset of Christ. Let this mind be in you which dwells in Christ Jesus. You've got to understand the mindset of Jesus. Watch this. In John chapter 16, verse 8, I want you to go there. John chapter 16, verse 8. We'll turn it real quick, and I'm moving on. Because we have to see sin clearly. Remember now, the decision that you're making, nobody wants to decide to sin. Of course not. And nobody wants to go in the direction of sin. I know I don't. I, I don't. I've seen sin's destruction. I've seen what it, what, what it can do. So in John 16, verse 8, Jesus is talking now, and he says, when he comes, in verse 8, The New Living Translation. And when he comes, who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. When he comes, he will do what? 
convict the world of what? It's sin. And of what? God's righteousness. It's one thing if we say convict the world of sin and end it, then we're hopeless. We're people without hope. He says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to convict who? The world of its sin and of God's what? Righteousness and what? And the coming judgment. Well, it's so good right there. He's saying when you see sin clearly that the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict the world of its sin and it's going to also tell them of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So when people say don't judge, they haven't read this whole scripture. It's the Holy Spirit that's judging. And he's saying this was the coming judgment. And here's why. John 16 verse 9. The world's sin is this. They refuse to believe in me. So what is sin? Not believing in Jesus. <laughs> That's it, pastor. That's it. That's it. You know I'm going to go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You know that, right? I mean, you know, you know me by now. I'm going to go back to that. Before death even came into humanity, before sin was even manifest, the first thing was this was unbelief. Before there was behavior, before there was that, it was a belief. He said, all this you can have, don't touch this. So when they touched it, nothing happened because he didn't say it when you touched it. He says, when you eat this. So the enemy put words, come on, to trap them into a behavior because he was after the belief. He says, you don't really believe God. At the core of it, you don't believe God. And Jesus is saying is this, that the reason why the Holy Spirit is going to come is going to convict us of sin. It's going to convict the world of sin, and it's going to show God's righteousness, and it's going to show God's judgment. Here's why. Don't believe in me. They don't believe in me. That is the sin. What's the greatest sin? It's you don't believe in Jesus. If you don't believe in Jesus, you can't get to God. And so he says, That's the bigger issue. So when you're talking to somebody who don't believe in Jesus, it's surface issues. Because they're in unbelief. And it's their way of life. And so when someone doesn't believe in Jesus, what do we do? I'm glad you asked because Jesus answered that. Because the Bible says he didn't come that the world may be condemned, but that the world may be saved through him. So Jesus doesn't go after somebody, and when they say no, he's like, okay, I'm out. (laughs) Sorry. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. That's the greatest sin. So I'm going to come after you while you're still breathing. I'm coming after you. Ooh, thank God for that. Because I know the first time when he came after me, I said, I wasn't interested, Jesus. Come on. And the second time, I'm partying right now. I'm at this house party. But I thank God on that day, August 16th. Come on, somebody. He came after me again. And he says, you don't understand. The greatest sin is not the party. The greatest sin is not the club. The greatest sin, you don't believe in me. And when you don't believe in me, your life is in trouble because I'm the only access to God. 
I'm God with us. I am God become flesh. I wish I had somebody who recognized that he came after you. I wish there was one person here this morning that knows the first time you said no God, but he kept knocking the second time. He kept knocking the third time. He kept knocking says you need me. I'm convicting you of sin and so let's not give up on this nation. Let's keep on knocking. Let's keep saying God visit this land one more time. God we got to believe in you. We got to believe in you. So he breaks it down and he says in Romans 3.21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. Romans 3.21. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. I'm going to clap my hands right there because the message is clear to this nation that what this nation needs is to deal with the bigger issue and it's this. You don't believe in Jesus, but he made a way and he said, if you want to get right with God, place your faith in Jesus Christ and this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are. Now, preacher, what if they believe in wrong? We'll get to that. Not this day. Because I know some of you are like, but what if they believe in wrong? What if they're deceived? We'll show you in the scriptures how that is. But for right now, what we have to understand is we've got to deal with the big issue. And so in Romans 3.23, he goes on. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standards. Yet God freely and graciously declared that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. That's it right there. Write that down. Come on. Or put that somewhere in your memory. You have to understand what the enemy is going after is the penalty of sin. John 8, 5 and 6. That's what they were trying to get Jesus to do. What is the penalty for the sin that we set up? What is the penalty for the sin? And Jesus says, here's how you do it. A statement is going to come up on the screen, I believe. And God gave this to me. This is how you can be both effective in eternal life and established life. This is how we do it. From looking at what's happened, this is how we do it. We're probably going to have to end with this. And so in Jesus and the way he ministered to this woman. And the way he wasn't trapped or he couldn't be trapped by, by, by the plots of the religious people. Here's what he says. I want you to write this down as well. Hopefully we can get it on, on Facebook Live because this statement, this, this is how, oh my God, this is, this is how the church shines its light. This is how the church can accomplish the assignment of God. This is how we make decisions with us from a heart of compassion. He understands the surface issues. He knew she was set up. He knows there's an enemy that's after you. And so Jesus communicates with us from a heart of compassion. That's why they call him a friend of sinners. He had a heart of compassion. And watch this down. He does not lecture us on our behavior. Oh my goodness, right there. So what do you mean? It's a free for all? Then you don't understand the first part I just said. You don't understand the penalty of sin. 
He doesn't lecture us on the behavior. Let me go back to John. You got to read the Bible. You got to go back. Remember the first three chapters of Genesis. What happened when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit they were supposed to have? Jesus does what? He comes on the scene. He doesn't say, Adam, what did you do? He says, Adam, where are you? Adam responded with behavior, not God. I ate the fruit and I'm naked. Then he goes back, not to behavior again, but to belief. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you you were naked? What lie did you believe, come on, that affected your behavior? And so Jesus now doesn't lecture us on our behavior. And this works for parents and kids as well. Because what happens is this, before they have a certain behavior, there's a belief that they have embraced. And so the question is, who told you that? Who set you up for failure? Who's shaking you down for fun? It's the devil himself. And so what happens is this. If I just look for behavior modification, you still have that belief system. It's just a matter of time before you go back into that cycle again. And so he said, that's how sin works. When you see sin, clearly you realize now that what is going on, it's your belief. He says he doesn't lecture us on our behavior, but teaches us about his nature to love. And here's what he does. He boldly leads, leans in with true conviction as he leads us to see our sin in the light of life. That statement is a game changer for your life right there. If you want to engage in any battle, if you want to see people make a difference, if you believe that what you are fighting for is a just cause for kingdom elevation, kingdom expansion, this is how you do it. This is how you do it. Because here's the deal. In this statement, what you see, and I'm finished with this, is you see a heart of compassion, Right? But you don't see compromise. Come on. What you see is this. Is that compassion. Come on. Without compromise. Strengthens boundaries. And so what Jesus did. Right. What he did was this. He showed compassion. But he also realized. I didn't compromise. I didn't break the laws of God. So truth and grace are at work. And he says this. I'm strengthening your boundaries. In other words. My love can protect you. My love can keep you. So the reason why I don't sin. The reason why I don't sin. Is not because God is looking and he's marking my behavior. It's because I believe God loves me. And if I love God. I will not do those things that don't honor God. It's that simple. So what keeps me? The nature of God's love. What holds me back is a heart of compassion from Jesus. What makes me look at the temptation that's facing me and I don't give in to the temptation? It's because the spirit inside of me convicts me of sin and realizes there's a thought the enemy wants to have as a stronghold. There's a thought, so you got to be able to break that thought. So compassion without compromise strengthens boundaries. We haven't given boundaries for the kingdom. 
we allow anybody to just come and have access. The first thing Eve should have said and Adam should have said was this. That voice I don't recognize. We have boundaries. We have boundaries. The second part of this statement does this. And we'll go more to it on Wednesday. This was conviction without condemning. Mm. Oh, good God Almighty. This was conviction without condemning. And here's why. Jesus realized now that he had to break barriers. Not the religious people. He had to break the barriers in the mind of this woman. Oh, God. He realized that she was set up. Maybe because it's a habit. Maybe because the way of life she's doing. But for somehow she was living in her way of life. She was living in this way of thinking that things are supposed to be. That I don't know my value. I don't know my worth. And so they took advantage of that. And so a barrier was formed. And nobody's able to break the barrier. But here comes Jesus now. And he breaks conviction without condemning. And she says, whoa. What a breakthrough in my life. What a breakthrough in my life. And church, we have been anointed by God to strengthen boundaries, good God Almighty, that we can look at the wave of sin and say, sin no more. You can't get past this. And we expand the kingdom of God. expand the kingdom of God TGP and church there was a day in your life a day in my life where we were caught and we were brought to Jesus if you haven't been caught yet today's the day to be caught every single one of us found ourselves loving something more than Jesus People taking advantage of that. People using that, abusing that. The amount of things that I have found myself caught up in because of fear of people. That the decisions that I've made because I had no boundaries. The enemy exploited those things. when I come to Jesus come on he says Ro strengthen your boundaries man strengthen your boundaries some of us here you need to strengthen your boundaries you're letting anything and everything come in it's a belief system and the Holy Spirit is here this morning to let you know God's righteousness will protect you judgment is coming make no mistake about it Every decision, the Bible says every word spoken will be judged. It will be judged. But this statement right here that the Lord gave me, I'm telling you right now, if you want to make a difference 
in people's lives. If you want to understand how to get access to people's hearts, it's right here. If you want to know how you can have true conviction and you can move things, it's right here in this statement. I'm going to tell you, if we do this, if we do this as the body of Christ, we will see the greatest move of God. I'm still believing. If I just got one other person with me, that's great. But I'm still believing we're going to see the greatest revival before he returns. I believe we're going to see the greatest revival. I believe people are going to come to Jesus in great numbers because we think we know God. We think we know what God's doing. God has said, I'm doing something. If you come into the light, you will see what I'm doing. But you got to see sin clearly. You have to see it because if you don't, you will walk in darkness. Every head bowed, every eyes closed. Father, I pray over these, your precious people. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, the ultimate request of God is that you be like Jesus. So on Wednesday, we're going to dive deeper into this. Because my prayer is before the month comes to a conclusion. Before we turn the page on the month of January. There is a decision that we have to make. A decision to make a difference. Did you hear me? There's a decision that we have to make. And that decision is that we will make a difference. And I can promise you this. I can promise you this. When you make that decision to make a difference, we will change this nation. We will direct this nation as the church has been given the assignment to do. So let's continue on this journey together. If you're here and you've not made the decision for Jesus... I want you right where you are and say, Jesus, I make a decision to receive your life and I give you my life. I want to receive your life. I want to be crucified with you, Lord Jesus. For those who are watching, if you never made that decision, make that decision right now. And for those of us that were in this whirlwind of behavior that's not pleasing to God, it's a belief. And so, Father, I pray that you will reveal 
who you are, Lord Jesus, so we will stop the behavior and embrace the belief that you are Jesus Christ and you have set us free in Jesus' name. Now let's declare what can wash away my sins. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Let's lift our voice.